Here it is, March 30th, the second week and change of our uh, uh, forced isolations from the uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And I am talking with Dr. Katie Reedy, a visiting (laughs) assistant professor at Lake Forest College, who is the leading authority on Shakespeare in the plague that I know personally. So, Katie, let me ask the most important question right now. Are we all required now during this plague to stay home and write King Lear? (laughs) Yes. And Antony and Cleopatra and Macbeth. You got to get them all out there. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 694, Shakespeare and Plague. Before we talk about what specific plays we should be writing, (laughs) um, (laughs) let's talk about your work, because your dissertation at Harvard was about uh, 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 plagues and poisons, and you're turning that into a book that you are tentatively calling (laughs) Pestilent Congregations, Drama and Devotion in the Early Modern Theater. That will have the books flying off the shelves. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What can you tell us about the plague times and what sort of warnings and or good news can you give us from your experience and studies of when it happened 400 years ago? <laughs> well, um, I, uh, it's, it's a little unnerving to realize that there, to be struck by similarities to early modern medical practice um, when you're in a contemporary setting. It's not you mean exactly. in, the, in the sense that we know as much about the COVID-19 as they knew about the plague 400 years ago? <laughs> we may know a little more, okay. um, but, but, it's, um, but it's, it, it's, it's funny though, the public health policies, when you realize um, how similar a lot of them are, where you have isolation uh, of the sick, quarantining, and um, and essentially uh, what was their their number one remedy against the plague, which was to leave. Um, and so uh, I think the the injunction, the num- the first uh, injunction on a plague tractate would be fly far, fly speedily, and return slowly, <laughs> essentially. And so you'd have um, that the wealthy would leave. Right. And people, I guess, flying to their vacation homes uh, today or right. or retreating into their um, their beautiful estates. You have those celebrity postings of their um, being shut into their homes. And, um, and David Geffen on his yacht. It, yes, exactly. Well, that's great. Um, uh, that that gives new meaning and historical depth to one of my favorite lines from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which is Sir Robin saying, would it help if we ran away more? So this is what Shakespeare did, right? He, we think, he left London during the plagues. Yeah, and the, the evidence is always scant and scanter than we would like. And there's qu- there are questions about um, whether or not companies would go on tour, during, you know, use it as an excuse to say, hey, let's... Let's go start touring some of these plays. And so some of the additions of, you know, I'd have to hearken back to to look at the specifics, but I think some of the early quarto versions of Richard III, they think may have been the touring version or something that they were putting on when they weren't um, in London during the, the plague that was uh, breaking out then. I know that they've there's been a lot more uh, specific discussion in particular after um, uh, Shapiro's book, The Year, you know, the Year of Lear, on how uh, essentially in 1606, I think, Shakespeare 
Shakespeare's landlady died. Um, and there was this question of, you know, maybe it was from the plague at this point, plague was ravaging and then Shakespeare leaves <laughs> essentially sometime after then. And so, um, and so in, in England, at least, at least what, when I've been thinking a lot about this and a lot of my research is uh, particularly fo uh, focused on the ways in which people thought about time. And this is how I've sort of pivoted a bit as I've uh, finished my doctoral work is to think about, and I started looking at these devotions um, and devotional work in the era and particularly the, um, the plague liturgies. So during this time, once plague deaths would get to a certain level, you'd start, you'd interrupt the usual liturgical schedule of events and switch things around and have plague specific, um, plague focused uh, prayers, uh, services, um, an entirely new order with, um, with homilies, a day of fasting, and all of these things. And that by and large were designed to, to call attention to the fact that we're in a different time. Not only has the space changed, right? There's this way that the spatial lexicon, um, to use uh, a, a scholar's term, um, has changed in plague where you're shut into your houses. And we talk about that a lot when we're thinking about social distancing, the physical changes that are happening. But there's also a temporal change happening too. You feel as if time is operating in a different way when you're quarantined or when you're in this time that feels extraordinary, right? Like. Um, for their era, it would have felt providential. You know, it's a time of God's anger. It's a time of illness as well. And for our time, obviously, we don't have those kinds of associations. Um, and so these, uh, these liturgical changes, I think, were part of, of, of these practices that, that saw these major epidemic surges of disease and death as being both uh, ex extraordinary, right, out of the ordinary, but then also part of a natural cycle, part of a, a sort of a way in which everyday life sort of comes into conflict with sort of uh, divine time scale, right, and sort of the seasonality of diseases as, you know, for, for people in Shakespeare's time, while not, they probably wouldn't be used to a quarter of their population just dying, right, over a season, um, as, as happened in 1603. Nevertheless, this would happen, let's say, every decade or so, right, every decade, every so often. And, um, and so by this point, there were, um, there were sort of, you know, there were regular orders that would be put on, and, 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 and it was part of a larger theological belief in, in a God that both harmed and healed. And so a lot of the prayers would be essentially petitionary saying, God, turn away your rod, turn it back into something that's helpful and healing, right? Let's, let's return to the way things were. So there is this larger sense of time operating both sort of out of order, but then as part of a, a cyclicality, and, which is something we don't really have. We feel uh, like we've been thrown out into this new kind of temporal scheme, but we're not used to anything like this, right? At least in this country. You know, other countries, there's been a lot of discussion of, you know, in China and South Korea, um, the way public, the public health system has been so built up and also exposure to things like SARS and all these other things, right, diseases, um, have, you know, maybe not prepared for the scale of this, but at least, you know, you can churn out these things in a way that makes more sense. Whereas, you know, people have been talking about we're on day three of quarantine and I feel like it's been a decade. Right? Right. <laughs> it's, um, and uh, for me, just thinking a little more about it too, um, it's, I think it's really, it, I keep trying to remind myself of 
how much this is a marathon, right? That this isn't something that in two weeks from now, things are just gonna go back to the way they are. And so, um, and, and it's important to, to, to keep that in mind that even as this is an extraordinary time, it's also gonna take a certain kind of cycle that we're not used to, so. Yeah, and I think it's changing our behavior in, in, in sort of good ways that we will continue, which I think people are adjusting to the behavior fairly well, but the, as you're right, the length of time uh, in, during which we will have to practice these new behaviors is probably mm -hmm. going on a, a while longer. It's like Emily in our town being forced to focus and see what, look around and really see what's happening around her. It's all, it's caused us to all really focus on, be aware of what's happening and we have nothing but time to think about it sadly. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to me that the, 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 the church is sort of responding in the moment using current events, using the plague and whatever to, to, to as, as, as teachable moments. Mm. And that it feels like artists aren't responding quite in real time. Is that mm. something you found? Like Shakespeare yeah. didn't write a play. Uh, he didn't write did, he didn't write Romeo and Juliet right after a plague. That's the one play that we know. Or did he? One of the major uh, epidemics that, and the major closing of the theaters, right? The, the theaters would be closed once plague de deaths went above 30. You know, potentially we've lost a lot of the records. So they may have waited until closer to 40 to right. close it. Because plague was endemic there, right? So it was sort of, there would be a you know, number of plague deaths, you know, that would just sort of stick, stick around, right? right? But then it suddenly shoot up for some reason but um so 1592 to 94 virtually for like the majority of those years which is hard for us to imagine the theater house was basically closed i mean there are moments when the doors would be reopened briefly but um and that's when shakespeare's uh venus and adonis rape of lucrece were crafted and they have all their um they have various references to the pestilence that are kind of interesting and fascinating in their own way yeah. um as he's trying to secure patronage again something that as we're seeing the new economic realities and thinking about the lack of structures and patron <laughs> patronage yes that the arts have um something people have been noting a lot right we say people get up in arms about the idea that we'd support the arts at any point, um, <laughs> let alone during a pandemic. And yet we're completely reliant on Netflix and on, on the arts to, to kind of keep sane. And there's, it's not simply sort of superficial entertainment for entertainment's sake, that there's something therapeutic happening in our ability to continue to share stories with each other. Hi, this is Paul Harris, nationally unknown radio host, this is the Reduce Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? As of today, March 30th, 2020, all of our live performances originally scheduled for April and May of 2020 have been postponed until 2021, except for our two performances of Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel, which have been rescheduled, fingers crossed, for this July 12th, 2020. Our two weeks of performances of the complete history of comedy abridged at the Hartford Stage Company in Connecticut in June are still going ahead for the moment, and we will let you know 
know if or when that changes. We've created a brand new page on our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, where right this second you can watch us perform many of our epic abridgments from the comfort of your own shelter. Right now you can see The Ring Reduced, where we transform Wagner's 17-hour ring cycle into a brief and palatable 23-minute musical film. Lost Reduced, where we cram the first five seasons of the landmark TV show Lost into 10 minutes. Our appearances on two Jeopardy tournaments of champions, plus some brand new videos recorded and shot especially for right now by me and Matthew Croak and hopefully others. We'll continue to add to this page, so be sure to bookmark it and keep checking back. You can grab your own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. It is perfect for homeschooling little kids of any age, and it's on sale worldwide. And you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the UK on our website. You can always hear us via this podcast and our other recordings available at Apple Music. If you're working from home or binge listening, now would be such a great time to leave us that five-star review wherever you listen to us and do spread the word via your usual social media channels. And as always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. Now back to my conversation with Dr. Katie Reedy, who was telling me how her research into plague and infection started with her examination of early modern revenge plays. plays you'd have this it, all of these uh, these tropes where essentially people would poison other people within plays within plays um, within paintings that were being painted on the stage uh, masks dances all sorts of things and there's these sort of poisonous um, infectious art murderous artwork right and so player playwrights are calling attention to art uh, and aesthetics as being potentially uh, poisonous and and uh, infectious yeah. is because the plague's infection was understood as being a, a poison, right? That that arose from putrefaction and putrefying things and would go into your body and go into your heart. Um, so uh, essentially, uh, you know, long and short of it was why would playwrights be calling attention in a playhouse that was already so associated with the pestilence? Why would they be calling attention to potentially pestilent aspect of their artwork, right? I mean, that would seem not like the best idea. And I think my uh, dissertation advisor asked me, he's like, well, why would they be doing this <laughs> early on in my research? And and I had to think a lot about it um, because uh, on the one hand, there uh, many artists drew on that kind of um, uh, power, right? The power, wanted to draw on that, that medical power of being able to act at a distance and infect people. Um, but we're at odds, we're at pains to sort of put that at odds with other bad artists who would, what Sir Philip Sidney called, um, would infect their view, uh, their readers with uh, pestilent desires, right? So their pestilence is different than other pestilences or whatever. Well, I love um, that. I do love that idea that, 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 um, that, Actors, players, playwrights are are, are uh, spreaders of not just literal poison, but poison ideas, poisonous mm. ideas. What you're saying ties into something that Michael Whitmore, the director of the Folger Shakespeare Library, said uh, on a 
podcast interview years ago where he talked about like the theater was not just the theater. It was sort of the internet of the day. Mm. You know, Mm. it's where people got not just their entertainment, as you were saying, and bear baiting and everything else, but information and, you know, where people could gather to hear news, share stories, et cetera. And, Mm. and I'm really aware of that now. And, and and what you're saying is it's, you know, our, our, Social gatherings have been closed, movie theaters and cinemas mm. and actual theaters, and we're not allowed to go to work, but there's still the, the supply chains are still there. We still have food in stores. You know, mm. we still have Internet. You know, we still have that. What yes. would was that? Is that something that they lost 400 years ago as well? Well, I mean, from what I know, um, it seems it's it, there were a few different uh, tracks depends on what your social status was for a lot for a lot of this. I mean, you had again the wealthy people left, right? They would just leave and um, and they'd go to their various country states, whatever they do their little tour. Um, the the royals, by the way, would leave and almost every, from Elizabeth to uh, to James to Charles would set up a um, a gallows in front of their palace, basically like anyone who comes here will be immediately wow, paid, right. Um, at, from from the records, it doesn't seem like they had to use it, but it was a pretty clear symbol of the the kind of panic. But so the wealthy uh, people, I digress. <laughs> the wealthy people would leave, and there'd be certain. Um, I think I think um, Thomas Nash's one of his plays that has um, uh, one of the a, a poem that's been anthologized. It's on the plague. Um, has this refrain, Lord have mercy upon us, and it references the, the plague, Summer's Last Will and Testament, I think was, was put on during a plague visitation in someone's manor estate who had fled, right, who had fled the, um, uh, the, the city. So, you know, you could still have aristocratic people and they still have their versions of entertainment. You'd have uh, the, these pamphleteers who were playwrights turned pamphleteer, um, Thomas Decker, um, Decker and Nash, and uh, Middleton uh, ended up getting their start where uh, they were they were young playwrights in the at the uh, when Shakespeare was in Shakespeare's theater in the 1590s and um, turn of the 17th century and they had these plague satires that okay. were these pamphlets that were published that um, that you know so they they'd find they'd find their new form of me- of, uh, of media they find their new medium essentially to be able to use entertainment but it's far different obviously you know and 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 people who would be shut in if you had one member of a household who was sick and you weren't wealthy and you weren't able to sort of flee right or just hide it somehow your and your household entire household would be shut in sound and unsound people would be shut into the household. They'd have a red cross painted over the door with a sign, Lord have mercy upon us on the door. They'd have watchers who would be set to be in charge to make sure no one left the house and they would nail in right the doors of the house, have people, if people who were sound were, were allowed to leave to get goods or whatever, they'd have to carry a plague stick that would keep social distancing, right? <laughs> like, right. No one keep helpfully, a helpful tool, like us to keep social distancing. But what the problem was with this was that the plague, we think of the plague and contagion as sort of one-to-one, right? But the plague as a pneumonic plague was contagious. A pneumonic plague would come in the winter months often. It was much more quick, deadly. Um, but the bubonic plague, the way it traditionally would spread would be through those fleas. Yeah. So, and so if you're shutting in an entire household into a house that has the rats, that has the fleas, 
um, essentially the the sick the 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 healthy people get sick. Um, so it was a method that it did prevent people from running around, but it then possibly also had some pretty bad effects for you if you were uh, not ill. And one of their solutions was that they um, they thought that dogs and cats carried the plague, so they would kill dogs and cats, who were, of course, the natural um, predators of the rats, so the mm-hmm. rats who actually carried mm-hmm. the plague flourished. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Guess, I guess we have our version of that... Um, and they're called the citizens of Florida. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Send us your isolation tricks via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and you can follow Dr. Katie Reedy on Twitter at Katie L. Reedy. Thanks, as always, to plague-sore-embossed carbuncle Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to E.H. Quinn. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to nationally unknown radio host Paul Harris, who just featured my performance of I Laughed Till I Cried as his picture of the day on his website, harrisonline.com, where you can also find reviews and interviews from his decades on the radio. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe and stay home. I'm Austin Titchener, 694 2080 seconds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and I'll leave you with this classic from the complete Millennium Musical Abridged, our musical tribute to the rats of the Black Plague. Enjoy. They're crawling need your seats. Rats. They're gnawing at your feet. Rats. They're really good to eat. Rats. They're such a tasty treat. Good in pies or with french fries. Sleepy, sleepy, smelly rats. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less.